When you're there by yourself and a whole room turns to look at you, the patient's stats might be crashing, your device is stuck in you know, their pulmonary artery, and they want to know what to do, uh, you feel like you're on an island. Chris Lamb, this is the Money Hole Podcast. Before we get started, please like, subscribe, download, and leave us a comment. Hi, I'm here with my good friend, Eamon Ross. Thank you so much for being here today. Appreciate it. Chris, thanks for having me. Happy Friday. Excited to be here. Um, look forward to what, we, what we're going to talk about. I am too, man. I appreciate you being willing to do this so fast. And I, I got to say, man, I know a little bit about you, and I know you've been involved in politics, consulting. You also do a podcast, but just for me and for everyone here, what is it that you're doing currently? Sure. So right now I do a combination of business and political consulting. Okay. Uh, I spent about 20 years in the business world, and we can kind of get into that story if you want about the transition from business to politics and what that looked like. Uh, but right now I focus mostly in the business and political world. Okay. Yeah. I would love to hear more about the business side early on. Sure. So started off uh, in the medical device world, selling uh, equipment to doctors, teaching the surgeons how to use the equipment during surgery. It was a fascinating experience. And I mean, I, I've worked for Silicon Valley startups all the way to Fortune 100 companies and both at the rep and management and vice president roles. And it was an incredible experience. I mean, I learned a lot. There's nothing that teaches you how to work under pressure more than when somebody's sticking a wire in someone's heart and it breaks. And everyone turns and looks at you like, what do we do now? Right. Were so you actually in the, were, did, were you witnessing? The yeah. Operations? Every day, okay. every day, all day long uh, in surgeries. And, you know, it's, it's funny because when you're there by yourself and a whole room turns to look at you and the patient's, uh, you know, stats might be crashing, their, their oxygen's going low, your device is stuck in, you know, their pulmonary artery and they want to know what to do. Uh, you feel like you're on an island. And so it really gives wow. you a perspective on how to operate under pressure when you're solo. Wow. Yeah, I've had a couple of friends that do that, but I, I did not know that you guys actually were in the operation room till about a month ago. A friend of mine told me that he's always in there and is a part of the process. You know, going back before you were in medical sales, one of the questions I like to ask people is, tell me a little bit about your the belief systems, for lack of better terms, that you inherited growing up about business, money, um, the marketplace? Sure. So my parents were both educators. Yeah. So we weren't wealthy and we weren't poor. We were, I'd say, lower middle class. Okay. And, you know, what you learn from your parents about money really sets the foundation for what you will believe about money in adulthood, right? Mm -hmm. And so for us, it wasn't that money was scarce but there wasn't always enough money, right? And so as I got older, I started to have what I would probably call a poverty mindset about money. Yeah. Um, there might not be enough of it. It's hard to keep. Uh, you know, Money doesn't grow on trees. All those phrases that we hear as kids mm -hmm. that plant seeds about what we believe about money in the future, right? Mm -hmm. See, every day we're writing our own money story, right? Yeah. And... It's important to stop and think 
about do I like the money story that I'm writing, right? Yep. And if you don't like the money story that you're writing every day, what do you do about it? And, you know, you have to think about like even, even Hollywood, right? What, what does Hollywood teach us about money? Well, rich people are, are, are bad, right? Uh, yeah. Right? Every movie out there has a bad rich person. And, and I kind of like to look at it in four categories of people. There's the rich bad people. There's the poor bad people, right? So nobody likes the rich bad people. Nobody talks about the, um, did I say rich poor people? No. Okay. Okay. So there's the, the rich bad people. There's the rich good people. There's the, the poor good people and the poor bad people, right? Yep. And so we all should want to be in the rich good people category. Right. So out of those four categories, it's important to take a step back and look at yourself and say, okay, which one of these categories do I currently fit into? Mm -hmm. And then from there, uh, find out what the root, um, the root thought or idea that you have about money. Um, what, what are those, um, those values that you have? Yeah. And so something that I've done recently, um, I read this book called God Talks. And it was incredible. It, it really gave me a neat way to think about money in a way that I've never really thought about it. So you sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and you just ask, okay, God, what do you have to say about money? And it's interesting. Like we've done this exercise with atheists, agnostics, Hindus, doesn't matter. You don't have to even believe there's a God to go through this exercise, right? Wow. So because the reality is God's always talking, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you don't even have to believe in him to, for him to be talking. And so doing this exercise, I've literally seen, I was in two months ago, I was in Napa Valley uh, with a group of 25 CEOs. And we go through this exercise. Some of them are Christians, some of them are Hindus, a couple are Jews, um, a couple atheists, agnostics, but we all do the exercise. And a lady there who's an atheist uh, had two pages of notes, and and it was so fascinating. We sit down there, and you ask the question, God, what do I believe about money? And just write whatever comes to your mind. Hmm. And just keep writing. And tons of thoughts will come to your head. And after you do that exercise, you know, you just take a step back and, and look and see, wow, it's interesting. I didn't believe that, you know, I didn't realize I still believe money, you know, doesn't grow on trees, right? I mean, if, if I truly believe that God is abundant, and his resources are unlimited, that should probably be how I perceive money. Mm-hmm. And how you perceive money is so fundamental to the way that you behave towards money, right? You will either attract it or repel it. You said there was a lot there, and that was so good. There, There's three things that I've been trying to remember so that I can make sure we touch <laughs> on them. The first one is you mentioned poverty mindset. And I just want to – I want to unpack that for a second because I – I think there's a lot of people that have heard that term before, but they don't actually understand what it means because I had heard it for years and I didn't realize that I actually had a poverty mindset. You know, there's a, you know, there's a difference between knowing something here and then that full realization of it when you see it. Um, so unpack poverty mindset just so people understand what that means to you. Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, today is an unprecedented day in the history of the United States dollar. Never before since 1945 has anything happened to uh, the U.S. currency like it did today. And so what happened is China just signed an agreement with Brazil. Okay, they're part of the BRICS group. So that's basically Brazil, Russia, India, China, 
and South Africa. And okay. people, just real quick here, uh, what's how does the BRICS spell? Because I mean, I saw it online. Like you can find it. This is not conspiracy theory <laughs> stuff. Like anyone can go online and see this yeah. right now, and it is it's really important. So how do you spell that? Yeah, B R I C S. Okay. And so what's so significant is that China just inked a deal with Brazil that they will now trade um, goods and services in the yuan, the yuan, the the Chinese currency. Yep. Okay. And that has the potential to destabilize the dollar in a way that's never been done before. Because mm-hmm. currently the world um, does business on the U.S. dollar. Right. What happened in 1945 is, we, you know, obviously World War II ends and there is essentially a winner, right? And what the U.S. did is said, all that we want in return for the you know investment that we made in World War II is that the world does business on the dollar, okay? Yeah. And in return, our Navy will um, protect world trade in the sea. So we at the time had the largest um, Navy in the world. We go out all over all the seas and now trade routes are so much safer. And so uh, pirating and ship hijacking dropped to to historic lows. Mm-hmm. So now it's a lot less expensive and risky to do trade on a global scale. And so from 1945 to 2019, we're now operating on a, a system or an economy that's going from faster, more, and less expensive mm-hmm. to now slower, more expensive, and uh, um, and less. And what's so significant about that is, you know, there's a lot of fear out there in the market right now and in social media, what's going to happen. And if you have a poverty mindset, you will get sucked into the vortex of fear. Yeah. And I think it's so important for people to understand that, you know, God, God is a God of abundance and is a God of systems. And so while systems may be changing, there is massive opportunity. Yeah that we have now in order to be able to build wealth, right? There's a massive opportunity for transfer of wealth. So we have, we have bad rich people, right? Well, in God's economy, historically that transfers to good rich people, right? Right. And so if you position yourself and you have the mindset to receive an abundance mindset where you're not repelling money and you're not operating in fear, right? What are the opposite things uh, of fear? You know, faith, faith, love, generosity, sound mind, generosity. Yep. If you start operating in that mindset, then you open yourself up to receive that abundance. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, and you see it all the time. I mean, one of the phenomena that I've seen over the years is how people buy high and sell low. You know, when everyone's paying 50000 100000 over asking price for homes, which makes no rational sense at all. It creates this uh, FOMO where people are feeling like they're going to miss out. So it just keeps pushing this bubble up. But but when the market crashes or when, when there's any sign of fear or destabilization and the media starts saying the world is falling apart in all the different ways they say that because good news doesn't sell, um, everyone clams up and they stop going out and making, you know, what in many cases in recessions are – better investments, you know, better opportunities. And it's, it's the most bizarre thing that people do that. And, you know, the thing about people that are not in a poverty mindset where they're not owned by money, 
is that's generally the time when they go in and make investments is when no one else is doing it. And, you know, I've, I've practiced that principle a few times, scared to death to do it just to test it out. And it has always worked out. So you were, you were also talking about people's mindset around money. And, you know, one of the things that, that I try to do with people is when people are thinking about something that like buying a house, I always ask them why, and you'd be surprised how, how little they know. You know, most people right now that buy a house, they, they, they think it's an intelligent thing to do, but they don't actually understand the the big picture as to why. And, and when it comes to questions like, should I buy a house now or should I not? Should I buy a house right now or should I wait till the market changes? I always think that it's good for people to really ask themselves bigger questions like, where do I want to be in 20 years? What do I want my life to look like? What did I get from my childhood that I don't want to repeat in my life and with my own kids? And then how do I change that? And generally financially, that's finances is a big part of that, right? I mean, it's definitely going to change the career you choose, the debts that you have. Should I buy that truck right now with that thousand dollar payment or not? Because once you have those big questions answered, it makes the smaller questions a lot easier. So I think we're saying the same thing, but what what are your thoughts on those bigger questions that people should be asking right now? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think that an important question for someone to answer for themselves is what type of generational impact do I want to make financially, mm-hmm. right? And so if you like where you're at financially, great, then keep doing that. If you like how your parents managed their finances and invested and whatever, maybe they left you money or or maybe they didn't, um, then do those things. But you have to decide, what do I want to do? And what kind of generational impact and legacy and financial legacy do I want to leave for my family? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of us, that maybe I need to do things that my parents didn't do. Mm-hmm. I need to do things that, and and so how do you do that, right? At the end of the day, it's like, okay, that's great. I understand that about myself, but what do I do? And, you know, at the beginning of this, we talked about every day, each of us is writing our money story, mm-hmm. right? And so if you don't like it, you're responsible for it. Yep. Only you can make that change. And the way to do that is you have to educate yourself. You have to, I mean, if someone's watching this right now, it's because they're interested in how to be whole with money, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, I, and I love that. And so for the people out there, this is the perfect start to beginning a, um, a, the road to financial literacy. Mm-hmm. So there, we can talk about all different kinds of financial education programs out there, right? Yep. But you have to read books. You have to listen to podcasts. You have to take a class. There are tons of, un- there are unlimited resources out there, right? right? You don't have to be a genius. Surround yourself with people smarter than you, people mm-hmm. that have what you don't have. And, and you know, find a money mentor, find a financial advisor. Uh, I think that, you know, this is not rocket science, but you have to be intentional about the way that you uh, yeah. approach it. Yeah, I agree. I was, I was watching Dave, uh, some Dave Ramsey clips this week, and I'm a fan of Dave Ramsey, just so I'm clear on that. Um, but one of the things that I don't see a whole lot with some of these financial literacy podcasts is that getting to the root. They talk a lot about the how, um, but they don't really get to the root. And, you know, being a recovering addict and alcoholic, I, I know that behavior modification will only get you so far. And so 
I had a comment on a video I put out this week where I, it was a new loan program way people can buy homes. And this, this gentleman commented, he said, I sure would love to do it, but I'll never be able to buy a house in this economy. And so I read the comment and I was, I was, you know, sad when I read it. And, and what I, what I did is I, I commented back and, you know, basically what I said was, you know, this is on social, so it's not like we can get into a deep conversation about it. But I, I basically said, you know, that may be true right now, but that doesn't have to be the truth and it's not the truth. Right. And so there are things people can do to put themselves in a position to radically change the course of their life, no matter how old they are. And that's not just an idea. I, I have a friend who is 50 years old and at the age of, well, he's 65 now, but at 50 years old, he showed up to our coaching group and his wife sent him there and he had very little money in the bank. They were paying their bills, but the, he, you know, he's getting older. He's like, we got nothing to retire on. We don't know what to do. We need these guys to help us. And what this guy did in 10 years, it's beyond the numbers are so crazy. I probably won't even say them on this podcast. Um, crazy. And what he taught me, and he's actually a coach. He's my coach right now. His name's Scott. What he taught me was number one, you're never the truth that, that people saying that you get to an age where you're too old to change. Like that's totally a lie. And the other thing that he taught me is the pain and the fear that he had was such a motivator for him that the laser focus he had at not only changing his, the route, but the behavior he was able to do in 10 years, what most people couldn't do in, you know, 70 years, 60 years. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable story. So a question I have for you is what are some failures or struggles you've had along the way in life when it comes to money and how has that put pressure on your life, your marriage, your kids? I want to hear a little bit about that if you're cool. Yeah, with that. absolutely. Yeah. Um, how long is this podcast? I don't know. I got a lot of those stories. Let me just grab a couple nugs, whatever comes to mind. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, let me make a comment first about something you just said, because it was really important about the guy that you were con commenting with on yeah. social media, right? If you believe that you will never be able to blank in this economy, you are 100% right. right. You will never be able to, right? Mm -hmm. It's a mindset, all right? That same person will not be able to buy a house in a good economy because right. they'll find reasons why. Yep. Okay? So that mindset will, um, that person will always be stuck in, they're just giving themselves an excuse mm -hmm. uh, to justify their current situation. Yeah, it's a belief system. So, uh, you know, my wife and I did Dave Ramsey when we first got married, and it was an incredible experience. We we paid off our first house, saved up some more money, um, built a new, unbelievable, huge house, paid cash for it. Um, and I don't know if that was the right thing to do. Now, I will say I had not experienced a financial euphoria like I did when we paid off our first house. Uh, I mean, there were for like weeks, I was floating on clouds from waking up to going to bed. It was unbelievable. Nice. That being said, we weren't making money while we were sleeping. And that's important to think about because to build wealth, you have to be able to make money when you're not working. Mm -hmm. And so I think that while I do love a lot of the principles and, and the reasons behind the Dave's Ramsey's program, I'm not convinced that there aren't better or alternative ways to go about that. Right. And so understanding debt and understanding leverage, if I was going to give two things for people to understand better from today's episode, 
I think that you know investing and in understanding debt and understanding leverage um, is is a really those are two really important concepts. Yep. Um, you know, I I was a part owner, I was a vice president of a genetic testing company, and it was incredible. We were you know if you look at a business cycle in four stages, right? It was literally in the startup stage, ramping up into growth, and then ramping up into massive profitability. And it was incredible. We were in seven states and uh, going really well. And my partner and I were had contracted with a lab out of uh, Washington State and realized that it seemed something was kind of going a little bit fuzzy with mm-hmm. the lab. And we could we did, had no proof, um, but something just didn't seem ethical about some of the, the billing practices they were using. And so we were paying our employees um, with, with the profits that were coming in. And, you know, at the end of the year, we would take a, a, a dividend, an owner's dividend. Um, and a little over, over a year, maybe 14 months in, um, we really started to sense that there was just something not right. And so we told the lab we wanted to get out of our agreement. We had a non-compete. and uh, they said no. And we're paying one attorney $300 an hour, another attorney $800 an hour. You know, money's just going out the door. Mm-hmm. We've not made it, we've not put a dollar in our own pockets yet. And we, we they owed us $1.4 in commissions. And we had to make a decision there. Like, who do we want to be as people? If we feel like there's something wrong here, we don't have real solid evidence but we really sensed there was something shady. Um, so we had to sign over our $1.4 million in commissions in order to um, get out of our non-compete and go contract with another lab in Ohio. Wow. And that was really hard to work for 14 or 16 months, basically, for, yeah. for free almost. Of course. And it was a super humbling experience. Mm-hmm. But three years later, the, that, the owners of that lab in Washington were arrested and put in prison. So. You know, it's kind of one of those things where in the moment, it's so tempting just to like keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, the, the money's coming and, you know, it, it forced us to totally, we had to shut, we had to change everything. It, it completely devastated our business and we had to start from scratch. And so, you know, in the end, you know, you have to decide who you want to be. And then, you know, once you do that, the money will follow if you do it the right way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've had a ton of, you know, um, ups and ton of downs. I mean, you know, we have another business that we started three years ago, invested a lot in it, lived off of savings, and it hasn't gone well. And so it's, you know, you have to decide, all right, well, at what point do I pivot, right? And so that's been a part of our story. And it, it look, it's not, it's never, um, it's never like it is in the movies, right? I mean, no. there's no overnight successes. There's uh, 10 year overnight successes. Yep. Right. And so that, you, you, you know, I, I'm trying to look at it from the end back as this is just part of my journey. And this is where I'm at in the story. Yeah. You were talking about rich people and you were talking about, you know, good, rich people, bad, rich people. One of the things that popped in my mind was happy, rich people, because a lot of rich people aren't happy. Right. I mean, you know, there's, you, you've had money, more money at times and less we all have. Right. And, and I know a lot of really wealthy people who are miserable. I know a lot of broke people that are miserable too. 
and everyone in between. And so, you know, this, this wholeness idea of being a whole person is, is really about balance um, and stewardship. And it's, you know, there's, I think that at least from where I'm at now, you know, the idea of being rich is having peace of mind and being able to enjoy your life every day and, and the people that you're running with and money's a part of that. Um, but what do you, what are your thoughts about people that have wealth but are miserable with it. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, you know, cause you don't, you don't have to be, we don't have to be broke to be happy. I mean, a lot of, when I was in church early on, I really had this belief system that you could not have money and serve God at the same time. And there's all kinds of scriptures that I had twisted up in my head. And I, I had to go through a, you know, I had to change the way I thought about things, but I also know that it's not the end goal, right? It's Lamborghinis and jets is not going to make you happy. We see it all the time. So what's your, what would you say about that? You know, at the end of the day, I think it all comes down to your perspective on money. So Biggie Small said, right, more, more money, more problems, right? Yep. Um, but, but the other side of that coin is, you know, if you have money, you can solve a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And more money also means more opportunity. Yep. And so when people, you look at people, you know, and, you know, people say the rich get richer. It's because when you have money, you have more opportunities, yeah. right? And so while money is not, you know, a a, a path to happiness, uh, I, if, I ha- if I had the choice to be um, rich and happy or poor and happy, I would rather be rich and happy. Yeah. Right. Yes. So, so it's Hands it, down. Yeah. And so, you know, people feel, you know, money is a huge blessing and it's a blessing so that you can be a blessing. And the people that are changing the face of the world for the kingdom are the people, um, um, you know, in a, on a, on a large scale are often, you know, you don't know their names. Right. And, yeah. and, 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 most people have no idea who they are. I mean, I've been to some of these meetings where these people are worth a hundred million or five billion, and they wouldn't. No one would know who they are. They're very quiet. They're very under the radar, and they are funding amazing things all over the kingdom that uh, wouldn't be able to be accomplished otherwise. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've seen people like that too. It's it's always it's always amazing and inspiring to see people like that. There was a book that Matthew McConaughey wrote and uh, Green Lights. I think that's I called Green Light. I, I think that's okay. Did you ever read it? Mm-mm, I haven't read it's that. It's a really fun book to read. Did you read it? Okay. Well, one of the things that I got from that book is and is money buys the options. Because what, part of his story was that he was doing all these romantic comedies and that's what he was known for for so long, you know, and he was getting all these opportunities, but he always had this dream in his heart that he wanted to do, you know, I don't know if you call it suspense, but more serious roles. Um, and it, it, this wasn't necessarily the lane he wanted to be in. It was just where he was making money and building his name. And um, he talks about how after several movies and, you know, having a name, having some money, he was trying to, he was auditioning for these more serious roles and he wasn't being taken seriously. And around the time that he got, I think his first serious role was Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, if I remember the book correctly, he got a huge offer on a, a romantic comedy movie. And and then they they kept offering him more because he was turning it down. And he ended up turning it down. And it was an insane amount of money. I don't remember what it was. Um, but if he wouldn't have turned that down, he wouldn't have got the role in Lincoln Lawyer. And that ended up being this this fork on the road for him that took him where he's at today. And 
and he was able to, you know, really go after the thing that was in his heart. So the takeaway from that part of that book for me was that money buys you options because if he wasn't grinding it out in this place where he was having success, it wasn't necessarily what he wanted to be doing, uh, but he was successful in it. He got to this place where he was able to write his own path. Um, money buys you options. You know, I a hundred percent agree with that and it buys you flexibility, yeah. right? Uh, and there's an old saying, money gives you options and options are more important than money. I never heard that. That's really good. And so I think that it's a really powerful statement about uh, a lot of people aren't happy because they feel trapped. Yep. Right. And so money gives you the flexibility and the freedom to operate in a state of mind where you're not trapped. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, but it, look, if we, if we take a step back and think about money, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a very simple and very, very complex word. It's like the word love, right? Mm-hmm. You ask 100 people to define the word love, and you'll get 100 different answers, yep. right? Or 200 different answers. You know that real estate is the number one way most families build legacy wealth, right? Correct. Did you know it's not the house, it's the mortgage? So let me explain it. So if you put 5% down on a $400,000 house, and that house goes up in value at 5% a year, and you sell it in seven years... And, and that 5% down was only $20,000. Well, you're going to make $162,000 in profit, which is a 814% return on investment. And I was talking to my CPA today. He said, real estate is the only asset that exists that if you live in it for two years, you pay no capital gains on it. And you can do it every two years. So that's where I think Dave Ramsey has failed a lot of people. And I've seen it. This is my experience as a mortgage guy for 22 years. People have waited to buy a house until they had 20%, missed out on some of the best appreciation years that they would have ever gotten because not all debt is bad debt. In fact, if you have an interest rate that's lower than inflation, it's almost as if you're a bank because you're participating in arbitrage by holding the debt. And with the crazy stuff going on in the dollar right now, wouldn't you rather have a note on your house in the U.S. dollar that you have to pay the banks back instead of owning your house free and clear? You know, money is uh, like, like like we were talking about. Money is a complex word, mm-hmm. right? Um, and at the same time, it's a really simple word. And have you heard the story about the traveling salesman? I don't think I have. So there's a traveling salesman. He goes town to town trying to sell his widgets and he pulls into a town and he's like, you know, maybe I'll stay here tonight. So he goes into the hotel, pulls up, goes into the hotel and asks the manager, hey, you know, I'd like to check out a hotel room here. Do you mind if I go up and look at one? And the hotel manager says, sure, no problem. But it'll just a $20 deposit and you'll get it back when you give me the key. Mm -hmm. So he takes the key. The manager takes the $20. The guy goes upstairs to check out the room. While he's doing that, the front desk manager takes the $20 and he goes next door to the butcher and he owed him $20. And he gives the butcher the $20 he owed him. And the butcher said, thank you so much. Appreciate you paying your debt. The butcher takes the $20 and goes to a prostitute. And he gives the prostitute $20 and said, thank you so much. You know, she said, thank you. I appreciate you paying your debt. The, the prostitute takes the $20 and goes to the hotel manager. And she gives him the $20 and wow. said, thank you for, um, you know, let, um, let me, uh, you know, have some leeway on my debt. Here's your $20. Hotel manager says, thank you so much for paying your debt. 
So the traveling salesman comes back downstairs to the front desk manager, gives him the key and says, you know what? I don't think I'm going to stay here tonight. I'm going to keep driving for a little while longer. He said, no problem. Gives the guy the key, gets his $20 back and heads on to the next town. That is such a great metaphor for money, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's really hard if you sit and think about that story to wrap your mind around the concept of money in general, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, I, you know, it's funny, I still think about that story a lot and, and try and understand like m- money is, is just an object, right? It's a conduit for transacting. And so do I want to be a conduit for receiving money and keeping money? and investing money and blessing with money and being generous with money? Or, you know, do I, um, do I have a scarcity mindset? I love the story about the salesman and the prostitute, but I'm, I'm not sure that I fully get that. What, what, what does that mean? What, what's that story really about? You know, it's, it's about the concept of money and currency, right? So the, the hotel manager pays off his debt, The butcher pays off his debt. The prostitute pays off her debt, all with the $20 from the traveling salesman. And the traveling salesman didn't lose anything in the process, right? And so it's it's a complicated but also very clear example of the flow of money and how we can better understand um, the the way that it operates in society. So what does it mean to you today to be a wholehearted person? There's a verse uh, in Proverbs. It's Proverbs eleven twenty five, and it says, "A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed." Mm, okay, love that one. So good. But the verse that follows that is also so important. People curse the one who hoards the grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who's willing to sell. So, if you have a scarcity mindset, you're not a generous person, mm-hmm. right? And I think that at the end of the day, generosity is kind of the glue that holds society together. And so in order to be a whole person, I think the the art of being a whole person lies in generosity. Amen. It's been great having you here. I really appreciate you doing this, bud. Chris, thanks so much for having me. I love the mission here. I love your heart behind it and really appreciate you having me. Thanks. Thanks for watching. This is the Money Hole Podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, download, and leave us a comment.